This week, we're going to continue this Christmas series that we're on, talking about the Christmas story according to Luke chapter 2. And the foundation for this series has been the many dreams and revelations that are associated with Christ coming to earth as a baby. And as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, Joseph, the father of Jesus, first heard of this Christmas miracle by way of a supernatural dream. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse number 26, and revealed to her that she would conceive a child, but not any child, the very Son of God. And the angel told her that she was favored among women. Matter of fact, as we have seen so far in this series, in the first message that I gave, the entire Bible, not just the Christmas story, is the unfolding story of God's Christmas dream. It's a story of God creating man and placing him in the Garden of Eden where they could fellowship with each other, man and God, during the cool of the day. But then Adam and Eve, when pride rose up in their hearts, they disobeyed God and sin came into the world. And God's dream of having a relationship with his creation was sabotaged. And then we see from Genesis chapter 3, all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, the whole point of the rest of the Bible is God building a bridge so that you and I, in our exiled condition of being His creation, could come back into relationship with our Heavenly Father. And all of this, all of this climaxes around a manger. When Jesus, the Son of God, wrapped in human flesh, was born and begins to walk this life. But then as we follow his life, we see that, that he has to die on a cross so that he could be that bridge to reestablish God and his relationship with mankind. And the Bible is the account of God's dream, God's dream that was lost and God's dream of fellowship restored. And the beginning of all of this restored dream is the Christmas story. Turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to begin reading at verse number 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And in this announcement of the angel to the shepherd, we find the heart of God. We find the reason why there is a Christmas. <clears throat> in the first message we saw that one of the purposes of Christmas is, is that we have a time of celebration. For the angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
And then today, we're going to see another purpose of Christmas is that mankind needed to be redeemed. For the angel also said, a Savior has been born. But see, what's amazing about this, it's not just any Savior. The angel said, a Savior has been born to you. Friend, the fact that God sent a Savior to this earth sends a clear message that you and I stand in need of that Savior, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, if you would talk to someone who doesn't know what, who hasn't been in church, they would say, well, say from what? Is someone drowning? Someone dying? You know, I, I really have a fond memory of, of being saved. Uh, and it really doesn't have a lot to do with the altar. When I was just a kid, a lot of years ago, I was sitting right on the second row on the farthest section. And uh, I know this is going to shock you and really surprise, but, but really it happened. I was acting up in church. I know. <laughs> I know it's hard for you to get your head around. Well, my mom was sitting beside me, and so finally, <laughs> finally I had crossed the line. So she reached down and she scooped me up like a sack of potatoes, and she took off towards the back of the church. Right down the center aisle, she was taking me out. My, my feet were pointed towards the back of the building. My face was pointed towards my dad in the pulpit. And I don't know what came over me, but halfway down the aisle, I yelled out, Somebody pray! She's going to kill me. Save me. Had nothing to do with that altar. But I needed to be saved. And you know, I think back at that, I mean, I should have known better as a 16-year-old. <laughs> I should have outgrown that. Being saved means to be rescued. It means to be helped. How many times in your life have you said, God, get me out of this mess? Well, when you said that, when you cried out, God, I need your help, you needed a Savior. And what I want to get across to us today is that, that salvation is three-dimensional. You are saved from something. You are saved for something. And you are saved by something. Now, when you're saved by the blood of Jesus, you're saved from your past. You're saved from your guilt, from your sin. You're saved from yourself. We're saved from worry, from bitterness, boredom, and so many different things. And thank God, most of all, we're saved from going to hell. And by the blood of Jesus, you are saved from something. Then you have to also understand that you're saved for something. Because there is a purpose and a plan that God has for your life. And that purpose and plan will never be known apart from an intimate relationship with Him. God wants to save you because God has a purpose for you. And then, we've all been saved by something as well. Friend, when you get saved, you are saved by God's grace. Which means you didn't earn it. And we certainly don't deserve it. We've been saved from sin, and that's what the name of Jesus means. It means to be rescued. 
Matter of fact, one of the Christmas dreams when the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, the angel said, you shall call the child Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so if you talk about sin with people who are familiar with a church, to most people, sin is a list. My personal favorite, you've heard a thousand times, don't drink, don't chew, don't run with the girls who do. That's on the top of my list. But it's a good thing that I didn't adhere to that or I would have never met Starla. That was a long time ago. People can change. But the idea is that if I don't do certain things, then I am not a sin person. But here's a fact, folks. Everyone has their list. And the truth is, I always think that the sin on my list is a lot less worse than the sin is on your list. Your sin's a lot worse than mine. Hey, but don't pat yourself on the back because you think that my list of sins is a whole lot longer than your list of sins. But I want us to realize today, friend, that sin is more than just a list. Sin is an attitude. And while, of course, sin is something I do, it's also an attitude that I possess. Now, this is interesting to me. Maybe it is to you, maybe not. But, but did you ever realize that the middle letter of sin is the letter I? And the middle letter of the word pride is the letter I. And so the reality with the human race is that sin is an I problem. It's the fact that I want to be my own boss. Sin is saying, I don't need God. I'm doing just fine on my own. Thank you very much. And when you do your own thing, that is called sin. Sin is when we say, oh, I know God. I, I, I know. I've been to Sunday school. You said to do certain things and don't do other things, but I'm going to ignore all that because I know what's better for my life than you do. You see, that is what sin is all about. And the Bible says that every one of us possesses that arrogant, humanistic, sinful attitude at some point in our life. In some ways, whether we verbalize it or not, our actions say, forget you, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. And that is the attitude that separates us from God. And that's why God feels distant and our prayers bounce off the ceiling and come back and slap us upside the face. It's because we're disconnected from him because this attitude of trying to do it on our own. And so that's why Jesus came in order to be our Savior. Because here's the fact, every one of our problems in our life has as a root cause sin. Every one of them. Sin causes confusion, it causes guilt, it causes shame, regret, bitterness, resentment, and grudges. It causes worry, it causes fear, it causes anxiety. Sin causes depression, discouragement, emptiness, it causes despair. Sin causes conflict with you and the person sitting next to you, whether they're your spouse or not. Every one of our problems in our life has as the root problem the root of sin. 
And that's why we feel disconnected from God. And that's why Jesus came and set us free. And he said, I want to set you free. I want to rescue you. I want to save you. And that includes being saved from your burden of guilt and shame. That's why Jesus came to pay for it all so that you could be forgiven. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. And that is the gift of Christmas. Jesus wants you free from the pain of bitterness. When you hate someone and resent someone, it eats you alive on the inside and it becomes a spiritual cancer. But Jesus came to save you from that pain. He wants to set you free from the expectations of other people. He doesn't want you worried about what Tom thinks about you because all that matters is what he thinks about you. God wants to set you free from the fear of death. He wants to set you free from the burdens of worry, from anxiety, from stress. That's the reason God sent a Savior. But see, the problem is that so many people feel like that they can do it in their own. But friend, we can't. And we need to be saved. And if you would talk to people out on the street, you would see that our society, that they just don't get it. If you'd ask someone what they need to be saved from, you know, you'd probably hear some flippant answer like, oh, I need to be saved from spending too much money on the holidays. Although Starla does need to be delivered from that. Someone else might say, my student loans, they're drowning me. A Democrat might say, save us from Trump. Trump would say, save me from the Democrats. See, we all have something that we think we need to be saved saved from, but it has nothing to do with our soul, with our heart. But you might find someone that was completely transparent, and they might say to you, I need to be saved from myself. And I don't know about you, but I can identify with that. Because I do need to be saved from myself. You see, because we are our own biggest problems. It's it's our own reactions, our own fears, our own adequacies that cause us to act out of line and mess up much of the time. And so many times we create our own problems. Now, maybe you're holier than that. And you don't have that problem. But just so you know, I'm preaching to myself today. You see, because in many ways I need to be saved for myself because there are things in my life that I really don't like about me. I don't need any audience participation right there. Makes me kind of glad Benny's not here today. Not really, no. He and Sandy are sick. Keep them in your prayers. But I want to change. But I can't, at least not in my own power. There are things I'd like to do differently. There are times I'd like to act differently. I wish I could speak sweeter and act better towards other people. Oh, we got Benny Jr. sitting over there. But I need a power stronger than me. I need a Savior. 
Now, you may be big and bad and all that and a bag of chips and be like Frank Sinatra, and you may think, hey, I did it my way. And I can change on my own. And you may be able to change for a little while, but lasting redemptive changes will not happen on your own because if you could, you would, but you can't, so you don't. How many of you vowed last December when you were getting ready to make your New Year's resolution, by next Christmas, I'm going to weigh less than I weigh right now? How many of you are saying, no, I didn't do that because you've just given up because you know you can't do it? And in a few weeks, we're going to make a whole new set of New Year's resolutions that are going to be in the dumpster by the end of January. Why? Because we can't change on our own. We need God's power. We need a Savior. And the truth is, if we're being honest with ourselves, at some point, our life gets out of control. And you may be here today and you're feeling like that right now. Well, if you are, friend, welcome to the human race. Because if you live long enough, you're going to feel like your life is spinning out of control. And the Apostle Paul understood that feeling when he said in Romans chapter 7, verse 24, I have tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? But the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and Jesus Christ does. Jesus is the answer. When your life is tumbling in the clothes dryer of life. But let's be honest today. You know, people who do say that they need some type of salvation, they're looking for salvation in all the wrong places, and that's why they're so frustrated. Some guy goes to a strip club, finds a girl, and he just can't understand why she won't come to Sunday morning church with him. Why can't I find a meaningful relationship? I go look for girls at the nightclub. I look for guys at the club. Oh, it's a good club. They only play country and western music. The logic boggles the mind. But people, they look for one thing that's going to give them fulfillment, meaning, and peace in their life. Every place else but God. People say, if I could just get married, then I'd be fulfilled. Well, good luck with that. There are married people in this room today that would say, hey, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Maybe you're blessed and don't know it. Because the reality is, friend, that it was never God's intention for another human being to fill that empty, unfulfilled place in your life. And when we go into a relationship with that on our mind, we're setting the marriage up for failure because we're expecting fulfillment from another human being that only God can give. And so we go through life looking for salvation for our empty heart in all the wrong places. If I could just get that job, if I could just get that race, if we could just get our kids out of the house. And we are continually placing our need for fulfillment in the wrong place. A lot of people look for salvation in a self-help book or in a therapy class or in a fad or in a diet or even, hey, if I could just get out of Dodge, everything would be awesome. 
And you may really believe that. But listen, even if you escape to the remotest place on earth, guess what? There's still going to be a problem because you are the one that's there and you are the problem. Because you see, the problem is my heart. The problem is me, and that's why I need to be rescued from me, myself, and I. And the answer today, friend, is it's not a place, it's not a program, it's not a pill, it's not a human being. The reason for your dissatisfaction is a purpose, is a person that you stare at in the mirror every morning. Because it doesn't matter where you go or what you do, the fact is you were made by God and you were made for God. And until you understand that, you're never going to make sense out of this thing called life. And so you need to be saved from your past so you're not carrying all the baggage of yesterday into your tomorrow. You need a Savior to get rid of all that stuff so you can live today and tomorrow out from under the shame that you endured yesterday. God wants to save you from your past. And then God wants to save you for a purpose. God says, I have a plan for your destiny. You are not an accident. You didn't just evolve from some tadpole. I created you for a purpose, and I want to save you for that purpose. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. God saved you because He has a purpose for you. Now, it's your choice. But you can live life at one of three levels. The survival level, the success level, or the significance level. Now, most of the world lives life at the survival level. The World Bank states that about half the world, 3 billion plus people, lives on about, about $5.50 a day. You can fact check me on that, but not during church. Wait till you get home. $5.50 a day. Now that's survival. I'd like to see Starla buy her shoes on that budget. But here's the thing. If you're an American, which we all are, we are automatically at the success level because compared to the poorest of the poor, Americans are more successful compared than the rest of the world. Well, that, you know, that's a conundrum. That makes us wonder, well, if I'm really at the success level, why do I feel so unfulfilled in my life? It's because you're created for more than just success. God created you for significance. And significance is not from a fat 401k. It's not from a new, bright, shiny car. Significance comes from knowing God and knowing His plan for your life and then doing what God has called you to do. That is your air chair. That is a sweet spot in life. It's when you know why you're on this planet and why God put breath in your lungs. And all the success in the world can't give you the fulfillment and peace of mind of knowing God and doing what He created you to do. And here's the thing. 
I'm going to let you in on a little secret, and, and I apologize because this may offend some of you. But if it is, write me an email. It's okay. I read them all. I know where the delete button is. Feel free to express yourself. But the little secret I'm going to let you in on is it is not all about you. But you see, that's the exact opposite of what our society says. Our culture screams, it is about me, so do it for me and give it to me. I've got Alexa to give me my every wish because it is about me. Friends, you're never going to find satisfaction and significance when you're living for yourself because God didn't wire you that way. And if you live your life that way, there's always going to be a hole in your heart because we were created to need something greater than ourselves. We need God's plan. Because like I said, we were made by God and we were made for God. And so when you've tried everything else and you're still empty inside, why don't you give God a chance? When you've done everything you know to do and you're still not satisfied, why don't you give Jesus the opportunity to fill that emptiness in your heart? And that's the whole point of the Christmas story. The Christmas story is Jesus saying, I want to save you from your past. I want to save you for a purpose, and I'm going to save you by my grace. So what does that mean, saved by grace? Well, it means you don't deserve it. Grace means that this gift that God is trying to give you, it can't be earned. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't work your way into heaven because the requirement is too great. Is too great. The standard is perfection, and none of us come close, not even my sister. As awesome as she is, she doesn't come close. You waiting for the other shoe to drop? No, no, it, it's all good. It's all good. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to make fun of your red jacket. No, it's everything, everything great. But as you well know, I am flawed. And that means that I have to get to heaven on someone else's ticket. And that ticket was punched for me by Jesus Christ at Calvary because he took my sin upon himself so there could be a bridge that would take me back to my heavenly Father. And when I choose to accept this Christmas gift and walk across the bridge, Jesus said, I will give you my grace. It doesn't get any better than that. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should brag about it. You can't do enough good things to get into heaven. You don't have enough money to get into heaven. You are not cute enough to get into heaven because getting into heaven is a gift. And listen to me, the miracle of Christmas is not just God giving His grace, it's also in you receiving that grace. The miracle isn't complete just because God gave. The miracle is complete when you receive. And so that's why we give gifts at Christmas time. Because God gave the gift of His Son. And Jesus gives the greatest gift he could ever give you and me. He gives us the gift of his 
grace. You know, Starla and I, we do a little scuba diving. And in the training, we had to learn about um, saving someone who's drowning. And, and what they tell you is that when someone is drowning, you can't save them as long as they're trying to save themselves. Because a drowning person, they're in a panic, they're flailing, they're fighting. And an experienced rescuer knows that you have to let the person fight until they run out of energy. So you can't save them until they give up or they'll drown themselves and you too. And when they give up, that's when you can put your arms around them and pull them to safety. Now, I have to admit that I had trouble with this part of the course. Because, you know, I realized I wouldn't be a good lifeguard because if I was standing on the beach and I saw hands bobbing up and down needing to be saved, I would default to my preacher mode and say, yes, I see that hand. Are there others? <laughs> oh, yes, I see that hand. Yes, God bless you. <laughs> well, friend, I want you to know God wants to save you. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your hurts. And he wants to blot out your sins. God wants you to be his child. He wants to save you by his purpose and by his grace. But here's the thing. You've got to quit trying to do it all by yourself. And to do that, you have to realize that there is a God, but you're not him. You've got to let God be God. And when you begin to understand that, then you realize that, hey, I can't fix this marriage on my own. I can't fix these finances on my own. I cannot fix my life by myself. And that's why we need a Savior, and that's why God sent His only Son. And you see, while we are so busy trying to save ourselves, Jesus is just waiting for us to give up so that He can be God. Jesus is the key. Starla and I, we were on vacation last week. And while we were gone, we received that dreaded phone call from the alarm monitoring company. And someone had broken into our house. Yeah, first time. Lived there 13 years or something, never had a problem. Well, the police were dispatched, and, and so they said that someone needed to come and secure the house. Now, there are a lot of people we could have called, and I really believe that a lot of people would have come and helped because a lot of people love Starla. And so they would, they, they would, they would come to help her. But my point is this, it couldn't just be anyone. It had to be someone special. You see, it had to be a key holder who could unlock the door. And see, Starla and I, we were out of the country. It's not like we were all across town and, oh yeah, we'll be home in 30 minutes. We're out of the country. There's nothing we could do. And there is nothing like the feeling of hopelessness when everything is out of your control. Well, thankfully, Josh 
our son-in-law had the key. Oh, there he is. I'm... Hey, do you still have my key? Can I get it back? No, I don't want it back. I don't want it back. But see, you have to understand, though, that it wasn't just enough that Josh had the key to the door. Josh had to be willing to stop what he was doing, to leave where he was, and he had to be willing to come to our need. And friend, you may be here today and, and maybe you feel hopeless. Maybe you feel like that everything is beyond your control and there's nothing you can do. Well, let me let you know that the story of Christmas is that Jesus lit, left the splendors of heaven and he came right to where you are. And not only did he come to this earth, but he has the key to unlock the mess that you're in. Jesus has the key to your situation. He has the key to your dilemma. And what's so amazing about it is it is a gift. It's a gift. But you see, you have to unwrap his Christmas gift of grace in order to receive his help. I cannot express to you how comforting, comforting it was for Starla and I to know that we had someone that we could depend on who held the key. And friend, I want you to know that there is someone that you can depend on that has the key to whatever is going on in your life. He is Emmanuel, God with you, the Prince of Peace and the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you see, that's why we celebrate Christmas. The angel said, I bring you good tidings of great joy, and so we celebrate. But the angel also said, for unto you is born in the city of David a Savior. The most eloquent description of salvation is found in John 3.16. God gave his only son for one reason and one reason only. So you could be saved. He gave his son for you. And Jesus left the majesties of heaven. He walked this earth. He suffered so that he would know when you hurt what it is to hurt. When you struggle, so he would know what it is to struggle. And Jesus became a man so he could become that bridge to reconnect you with the Heavenly Father. Gee, Christmas is a story of God building that bridge through the grace of Jesus Christ. But you know, I wonder how many Christmases come and go with the Savior of the world giving and giving, yet people just ignore His grace, the greatest gift of all time. Well, today, 10 days before Christmas, 
God wants us to stop and reacquaint ourselves with his grace. God wants us to stop and realize that he's given his son. So you don't have to be alone this Christmas. A Savior has been born, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins.